Hey guys, here we are, the Quaking Out MMA podcast, and I have a very special guest. Uh, I've given him the term. I'm sure somebody's already done it. The MMA Jack of all trades, the one and only James Lynch. How we doing, man? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to coming on this for a while, and we've been trying to work out the times and everything. But uh, thanks for doing this, man. I'm a fan of the show and happy to be on. That means a lot coming from you because I try to watch everything you do, and there's just I'm running out of time in the day. Too much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, even, even I am running out of times of the day, even just doing the work, so <laughs> I, I, I don't blame you. So, I mean, the craziest thing is that I want to talk about is that you've been in this game for 13 years now, um, and I feel like probably more so in the last, like, four or five years, you've really become a lot more prominent. So I kind of want you to talk about your start. I know last year you did a video of why you got into MMA media, so if you guys don't want to watch the show and you want to go watch James and said, it's up there, but... I want to know how you got into it and why you still do it and why, you know, how you're still so effective and passionate about, you know, covering the sport. You know, normally they say that, like, you know, this is a double loaded question. That was like a, a triple loaded question, which I'll take. I love it. You know, it's, it's good, 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 good place to start here. Um, so sort of the, the short version of it is um, I wanted to be a hockey reporter, hockey broadcaster uh, when I was in college. And then I fell in love with MMA. It was uh, the Ultimate Fighter season one. I was what you would call back in the day a tough noob. Uh, back in the day. So I uh, got into watching The Ultimate Fighter, got into watching the UFC, got into watching Pride. Um, you know, fast forward a couple of years, ended up working at Fight Network where I really learned a lot of what I use today. Um, I, I got to give huge credit to, to get, and it was just right place, right time, right? Because I was living in Toronto at the time. Fight Network was, you know, the only and is still, I think to this day, the only full 24-hour combat sports channel, like from a television point of view. I know now they don't do much MMA. It's more like just programming, but mm -hmm. I learned a lot there. I started as an editor, worked my way up to, you know, producing and doing some on-camera stuff, ended up leaving there. Uh, and I think like 2013, 2014, I uh, ended up going to TSN, working there and, and doing uh, sort of digital media as my day job and doing MMA on the side. Um, so I started the first like freelance gig I ever got like paid that was like actually like well paid was MMA Oddsbreaker. Shout out to Nick Kalikas. You guys might know that name. He does uh, the UFC on the line show with Johnny the Greek. Nick was like my first boss in terms of any sort of freelance gigs I ever had in digital media. Um, and Nick gave me my shot. I, I started there just doing video interviews. I always wanted to be on camera. Frank Trigg was there at the time and he was doing on camera stuff. So I thought, you know what, I could probably do this too. And I don't want to step on Frank's toes. So I'll let him do a lot of the UFC stuff. I'll focus more on prospects. Well, guess what? A lot of those prospects are in the UFC now. So it kind of worked out well. I always had the strategy. I'm never going to turn down an interview. I can gain, you know, experience from every interview I do. So I did that. Eventually got picked up by Flow Combat as well. I was working for those two sites for a couple of years. And then fast forward to October 2017. Hey, I'm a dad. So, uh, you know, I can't do both. Yeah, I can't yeah, have the exactly. day job. I, I can't have the day job and can't have um, MMA on the side. And I just couldn't imagine myself giving this up because I, I felt like I found something good. And uh, while the security was nice with my day job, I had benefits, it was paid well and all that. I was like, you know what? Let's do this thing. Let's. It's now or never. Let's see if this works. And I think initially, like when I was doing this on the side, the hope was to always get on full time with an outlet. But I didn't really think of the fact that if I just worked for enough outlets, I could just make up a full time salary. So that's essentially what I did. So <laughs> I, I quit my I quit my day job, gave in my two weeks, uh, went full force on the thing, and then just joined on with a bunch of outlets at the time, which was uh, fan sided, fightful. Um, who else? Uh, this is where we were joking off air. I'd probably forget about who else I worked for. <laughs> Flow Combat, MMA Oddsbreaker. There's Top a turtle. there's a whole bunch. MMA, <laughs> MMA Mania. I actually didn't do video interviews for them, but I was doing video editing for them. Um, yeah, so so that sort of made up like a full time salary. Fast forward to May 2019, the score comes out of nowhere. Says, hey, we, you know, would you be interested in being our senior MMA news editor? We'll you know pay for you to travel to events, all this stuff. I was actually you know looking back, I was very hesitant hesitant to take that because of the fact that. Um, 
you know, I, I had like a good base of freelance outlets and I'm like, you know, I like my freedom and, and you know, to me it was like if I'm going to do full time, I want to go with sort of one of the bigger MMA outlets. But the score was like, hey, no, we'll pay for your travel. So I was like, all right. I'll, I mean, that sounds good to me. So ended up taking that job. Um, you know, went to pretty much every UFC pay-per-view from UFC Chicago onwards. That was the uh, Henry uh, Cejudo and Marlon Marais card. Uh, none of the international events, but, you know, I did, did all the UFC cards, did UFC Boston, did, um, did one of the Bellator cards as well, the Machida and, and uh, Musasi card. Ooh, COVID cool. hits, uh, a lot of uncertainty. I don't know where I get an email, you know, and they tell me that, hey, we're getting rid of your position. No hard feelings. Ended up leaving and then ended up getting work pretty much that day and just kept going. Like, I had interviews scheduled that day when I got let go, and I'm like, I'm still going to do these. Are you kidding me? So <laughs> um, I, I still I still did the uh, still did the interviews. And now, so, yeah, so that's where we're at. So basically since July of 2020, I've been freelancing full time, uh, just working for a number of different outlets. I hope I'll host a couple of podcasts as well. So that's what makes up sort of my full time, uh, you know, salary and all that. And then uh, what keeps me going? I just love talking to fighters. Like there's just it's to me, whether you're an amateur fighter, or, you know, you're the UFC heavyweight champion. To me, I just love doing the interviews. I love talking to fighters. I love, you know, interacting with people in the community. Um, I haven't lost that love for it. And it's it is a lot of work. It's a lot of, you know, time away from, you know, my family sometimes where I have to you know, tell my wife like, Hey, I got to do this or whatever. So it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I just like, I really enjoy what I do. I like, I like knowing that, um, you know, I can have fun with the fighters. I get to meet different people and I can do it all from home. It's very convenient for me as well. I don't have to go anywhere. I can just do it from here. So I think I answered your question. If I didn't let me know, I can add some more stuff, but I think I, I pretty I much mean, that's good it. enough, but I wanted to touch on that, you know, when the score lets you go. Cause I remember that day and just being like, Oh shit. Like really of all mm. the people. And I remember like, you put up the tweet like if anybody looking for somebody and like the amount of people that responded and the fact that you had jobs pretty much like within a few days if not the same day of outlets to work with like talk about how important the mma community was for you in that moment um that you've given so much to them that they really gave right back well i actually like i think it's a couple things and thank you for that like it was very cool to see all these people you know digging my work and i think me going to the score definitely raised my profile a bit in terms of you know the access i was able to get with fighters and uh you know just being on a bigger platform and i'm, I'm proud of what we did over there um you know unfortunately all that content's gone they just decided to shut down the channel which kind of sucks because i did a lot of interviews for them there there's i didn't interview with dustin poirier i didn't interview with tony ferguson which will never see the light of day anymore unfortunately so i'm trying to get those interviews again just to make up for it but um, which is also another uh, thing, and that's a, probably a video I should do at, at some point. Is you know, back up your work. I did save one of the videos I did with the score, where I got to play Street Fighter Two with Gegard Mousasi. So that does exist. <laughs> I want to put it back up on my channel if I can figure out a way to crop out all the score stuff on there. But um, yeah, th thankfully that was the one I did save. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's a couple things. Like so, yeah, I was very surprised to get this much work because I had no idea. Like I even remember talking to my dad who does like he's an electrician i remember like talking to him and being like look if you have any labor jobs like i might need to take I'll some do it, I, yeah. like i got I got, a, I got a mortgage to pay like i don't know if this thing's going to work out and thankfully i didn't have to do that um but i think also it's reputation you know like I, I think one of the things i've proven and it's not trying to come across conceited whatsoever but like i've never had the the backing of a big mma site yes i work for the score but honestly i can tell you that a lot of like the interviews i got were not through the score like it wasn't like the score helped me get those interviews I was doing it myself I think reputation is so important in this industry and just treating people with respect and you know treat an amateur fighter the same way you treat a UFC uh, champion that's how I look at things so um, I think my reputation was what got me all those jobs because people saw the work I was doing and I'm versatile right like I can do 
I can obviously do the interviews. I'm, you know, I can do a good job on camera, but I can edit my videos. I can do the social media promotion. I can, you know, create my own graphics and do all that. So that makes me very valuable in that space. And there really isn't anyone out there that's doing this full time strictly for video. There's a lot of full timers that are freelancing that are doing writing, mm -hmm. but in terms of video, it's it's I'm kind of a rare breed in that sense. So I think that's also why there's sort of a. Um, I'm a bit of a commodity in the industry in the sense that I can I can sort of do it all. So if there's one thing you can kind of take away from this, it's you know try and learn everything because it, it makes you more valuable in the industry and also just you know have a good reputation. You know, uh, like establish relationships with management and with fighters and, and go about things the right way and you know try and um, you know you don't have to like a lot of people are like oh you know you brown nose with the fighters or whatever. Like I don't really feel like I do that. I, I think in general I try and just be fair and if they have a good performance we'll talk about it. If they have a loss. There, you know, we'll talk about it as well. Um, I, I think the big thing is just, you know, always learning, always, you know, keeping check of how you're doing and, and making sure you're doing the right things because ego is a big problem in this industry. I see a lot of people sort of, you know, doing this for like a year and they want to get like a full time job. And I'm like, like, where do you get this idea that that's going to happen? Like, yeah. you just have to look at the landscape of the industry. It's very tough to do this full time. So, um, yeah, I think to kind of answer your question there, like, I think it's a lot of just, it's a combination of things of, yeah, I was very surprised to see people actually dug my content that much, but also my reputation and the fact that I'm versatile, I think also led to me getting those jobs as well. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I think people just don't understand, like, how hard you have to work in this industry to make it to that full time mm -hmm. position. I'd say there's probably a handful of people that actually get to do it full-time who aren't employed. 20%, 20%, I'd say, maybe even less than that. Like, it's really that low. Like, I can name way more people that do this on the side than people that do this full-time. Sorry to interrupt you, but... No, no, you're... Damn it, James. <laughs> <laughs> but I love, you know, I remember doing interviews, and when I first started doing them, you know, I got into MMA in 2008, 2009. So right around the same time, you know going through watching pride fights, going through watching the old WEC wreckages, like all that stuff. I'm pretty sure the first set of fights I saw was Faber Brown 2 and Aldo Swanson. So not not a couple of bad fights to start you off and be like, you know what, I think I like this. But and that was like peak WEC too. Like, do you remember? It wasn't. I don't think it was the Mike Brown card, but the. I remember the Jens Palver and Uriah Faber card was oh like they God. did like this huge countdown show, and there was a huge like. I think people forget how big that was and how much of a big deal that was back in the day. And I always thought, and I don't know why they never did this, but I also thought that why did they not make the WEC like their feeder league? Like instead of even doing contender series like they have now, they could have easily done the WECs like the minor leagues. And let's say you have a veteran in the UFC who's gone a losing streak, you could put them in there as well and build them up, and then it's not like as big of a thing as well. I always thought that was sort of a miss by the UFC of not making that like a feeder league because you saw a lot of the talent that went through the WEC are now, you know, UFC champions or they're fighters that are contenders. It's it's very uh, it's, it was a very interesting era. So I'm glad you saw that era because I think a lot of newer fans don't remember how good the WEC was. No, and I mean go back and watch some of those old Ronnie Yaya fights. Those old, you know, the Cub Swanson Dominic fights, Cruz. the Eddie yeah. Vineland fights, like him versus Ken Stone, like, oh gosh, like some massive stuff. And it just, you, you forgot, you know, Miguel Angel Torres, like, had some of the best fights you'll ever see. Um, and I think the problem with WEC is they started out having all those weight classes. Then they branched down to the three that they had or the two that they had. And then they just kind of went away. So I think the feeder league idea would have been nice if they would have kept the original format of all the other weight classes. Because you had guys like Chael Sonnen fighting over there. You know, Paulo Filio. <laughs> With that weird fight, I mean, that's you yeah. want to talk about weird fights? Go watch that Chelsea and Paulo Filo fight where he's like talking to himself. It was pretty nuts. <laughs> well, I think that's a good segue of talking because the last night in the main event, I know you probably already covered this, but do you think that 
if there would have been a crowd, we would have been able to hear everything that was going on last night, and we would have made as big of a deal about it, or do you think they would have kind of tried to, like, get away from that audio? Because I think they don't have any background noise anymore. There isn't any more, you know, anything to distract you from the fact that these guys are having that conversation. I think we've seen, I think I think it would have been, people would have noticed it anyways, because the commentators made a note of it, right? So, and we've seen trash talk before where guys are talking in the cage. Nick Diaz famously used oh, to do yeah. this a lot. I remember when he fought Robbie Lawler, which by the way, probably my favorite fight of all time, one, at least in my top three, uh, was Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler for oh, a couple of reasons. With the fact that they, if you listen to the commentary, they're like, bam, they, they cannot believe that Nick Diaz is standing and trading with Lawler. And, you know, this was back when every single time there was a Militich fighter on the card, the commentary team would just suck their dick, basically, like the entire <laughs> time where they're just like going on about like, you know, I had to think about that for a second. I'm like, do I want to make this R-rated on this show? I was like, whatever, it's fine. It's a podcast. But no, like, like, listen, Mike Goldberg, every single time, oh, Robbie Lawler training from the Militich camp. Oh, he must be good. Like, that was the whole theme back in the day. That, that That's like the new, whatever, you know, American top team now. But they used to, but they kept, like, AKA. emphasizing that in the broadcast. And then out of nowhere, Nick Diaz knocks out Robbie Lawler. Which, Face looking plants. back now, Face that plants. was such a... Yeah, and that was such a big win uh, for for Diaz at the time, and also it was a it, you know that, I think that's one of the few times that Lawler's actually been finished. Tyron Woodley being one of the others, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, but, but anyways, yeah, that that was an example because I remember Diaz was talking trash, and I think Mazzugatti was the ref, and he actually warned Nick Diaz not to talk anymore in the, in the cage. So it reminded me of that, and it, it was just fantastic because that fight was entertaining for the wrong reason. Like yeah. the first round, I'm like, ha ha, okay, um, oh, this is getting pretty good, this is getting good. And then it was like, I'm laughing, watching a fight, and I never thought, like, I've seen it before where it's been, like, a one-sided fight, and you're like, I can't believe this is happening, but the talking aspect, like, everybody's going to give Holland shit, everybody's going to give him, oh, you talk, and someone wrote, read online, and it said, if he wouldn't have been talking, you know, talking didn't, you know, prevent him from stopping those takedowns, and I was like, oh, it's it's the antics that come behind it, but... Sorry, I had to I had to shift there because I was like, yeah, no, 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 no. I, I know I know exactly what you meant. I, I think I, I think talking can work if you can do it. It's just so difficult to do that during a fight. And two, it only works if you're winning. It reminds me of I mean, using an NFL analogy, Terrell Owens when he played for the Philadelphia Eagles. Remember they had that crazy run when when he was playing with them, and yeah. you know he's talking all the smack, and then they ended up losing. And it's like all that makes him look like a clown now. But if he won, it would have been that much bigger, right? So it's exactly. like same sort of thing. If Holland had done this and won. He would have been a superstar last night, but he did it against the wrong guy. And I called this, by the way, I, on my preview show. I said Brunson was going to win. I felt it was yeah. a classic case of recency bias where people are looking at Holland going on this great run. And I saw people even on my prospects being like, Holland's going to knock him out in the first round. I was like, have you seen Derek Brunson fight recently? Like, do you remember that he's gone to a different camp and he's kind of shored up some of those defensive issues that were plaguing him in the past? And by the way, have you also looked at who he's losing to, like Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya? Like, yeah. Kevin Holland had a great winning streak last year, and I don't want to take anything away from that. I think it was one of the great stories of 2020. But zero wins over a ranked opponent. And I know people look at Jockery, but let's be honest here, Jockery not the same guy he is. He's in his 40s. Um, that was way overblown, I thought, and that's why I felt like Brunson was going to win. And he did. He dominated him the same way he did with uh, Shabazian. I mean, he didn't get the finish, but it was still a pretty complete performance from Brunson. So my thing with trash talking is, only use it if you think you're going to win. Mm. I know Holland thought he was going to win, but when you're clearly losing partway through the fight, maybe it's time to be quiet and just continue on. And I, I think we can translate that to any aspect, because if you have somebody who's doing two too flashy of moves, like, you know, when Gates G would do the rolling thunder, and everyone's like, oh, that's stupid. But if he had knocked somebody out, oh my god, it's the greatest thing ever. So we, you, you're never going to win when it comes to that aspect, you know. You know, I know yeah. the, the Cheyenne Bays fight and Kanejo, like, a lot of people were mad about that. 
I was one of them just because I didn't feel like that was how you win a fight. I understand that's what you did to win the fight, but at the end of the day, like, I don't think you're getting any fans. And in this sport, like, you need to be exciting. You have to make yourself stand out. Otherwise, you're just going to kind of disappear into uh, the void that is off camera. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that fight. That fight was interesting because, like, I, I always get annoyed by this. Like, obviously, the UFC is pushing certain fighters. Cheyenne Bay's probably not on the main card if she doesn't look the way she looks, or the you know, there's there's a lot of different things you could put into. I think they were very high in her, same way that they sort of pushed Macy Barber, right? So she gets a spot, mm-hmm. and I feel like her opponent like took that as like such an insult, but that's not her fault. That's the UFC. So like, she almost took it like Cheyenne was talking all this crap before the fight. I didn't see any of that, no. and it's like, come on, like. Like, I guess whatever you need to do to win the fight, it obviously worked for us. You got it done. But I felt like, why are you so angry? Like, you're making your debut. You should just be happy to be in there. And, exactly. and I thought that was bad. And then the whole thing at the end, whether she spit or not, I saw some camera angles showing she didn't. I saw some people saying she did. Um, yeah, I just don't know what you're trying to accomplish with all that. And for Cheyenne Days, I mean, look, she's 25. It's not like her career's over, like no. some people are suggesting. Um, I saw some people saying she's not UFC caliber. I was like, what, really? Like, yeah. she was just against a stronger fighter. She just got in a headlock, basically, the whole fight. So um, I don't think you could take much away. But yeah, that that whole, like, fight was just weird. And, you know, again, Cheyenne didn't – she's not the one getting put on the main card. She's not – you know, doing the betting odds for the fight. I know she was exactly. like, a side, like a two to one favorite. Like you can't blame her for that. So for her opponent to get all upset about that, like relax, come on. I think that's a good point too, is because, you know, these fighters take offense to that. And I think Brunson did the same thing when he was talking about Holland. He's like, they're trying to push him. That's not Holland's fault. Mm-hmm. You know, some of his antics might've led them to push him. But like you said, I really appreciate that point of view because that changes yeah. everything. You know, why are you mad at your opponent? Like, show the UFC you're the reason you should be on top, not the other guy. Not get mad at your opponent because of something your boss did. So, <laughs> No, and there, there's a difference, right? Like, like using Alex Hernandez as an example. Like, he's going to be forever hated by the fans because he talked trash on the one guy you don't talk trash to, and that's Cowboy Cerrone. And oh, forever, yeah. even if Hernandez, you know, turns this thing around or whatever, fans are still going to remember that and hate him forever. There, there's that. But then you have, like, you know... UFC pushing like an Edmund Shabazian, right? Like people are like, he was rushed too fast when he fought Brunson. It's like, no, he wasn't. He had kicked Brad Tavares the fight before, who I consider sort of the gatekeeper of the division. Yeah. He's supposed to fight a Brunson. Was he outclassed against Brunson? Absolutely. Does he need to go back to the drawing board? Absolutely. Are they making a mistake giving him Jack Hermanson? Absolutely. We can talk about that later. But my <laughs> whole thing is like, you can't blame him for that. That's him just performing in the cage and doing well. Like fans are very like, uh, you know, like, like a flip of a switch. It's like, oh yeah, Shabazzian future champion, and then it's like he loses one fight. Oh, he's going to Bellator. It's like we're we're like there's got to be an in between here, people. Come on, <laughs> there's got to be something happening. So I yeah, and like, I get that. Like the people, too just reactionary. Flip. I think. You know, oh, you lost. Yeah. Oh, oh, you know, you're you're watching like McGregor. McGregor losing to Poirier. Now everyone's like McGregor sucks. It's like I'm pretty sure McGregor was the reason you're watching this fight to begin with. So Poirier, you know, <clears throat> yeah. I don't want to talk about McNugget. I have to stare at it every time I watch your videos. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. I remember watching that car with my friends, and we got a bunch of people together, and we're all sitting in my friend's apartment, the Aldo fight. And I just remember being like, "All right, Aldo, let's do this." Me too. I was at a, I was at a, I was at a, a uh, what was the name of the bar? Shoeless Joe's in Toronto. So there with my girlfriend now wife. We're watching the fight. And I'm going. Aldo's going to destroy him. Yeah. <laughs> the opposite happens and all these idiot Irish fans are like around me like just you know going crazy and I'm like Ugh. I was like she's like I thought you said he was going to win and I was like I thought he was like this is Jose Aldo the guy never loses you exactly know? So, it happened. 
Well, that's how I felt with the, the Overeem and Lesnar fight when it happened all those years ago. Everyone's like, ah, Lesnar. And I'm like, I grew up watching pro wrestling. Like, I hated Lesnar. And then when mm-hmm. he went to MMA, I was like, damn it. <laughs> like, yeah, away. no, I know. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Crazy Lesnar's run. So I kind of wanted to get a feel, you know, changing gears. Like, how do you plan a week? How are you constantly? Because it's like every single day. I'm sure you're doing more than one interview a day. Um, I know you just had Hannah on the show, and I've I've known Hannah for years, so it's cool to see her getting a spotlight. Especially, you know, she made it on the you know, she made it on your show before me, but it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually I interviewed Hannah before Contender Series last year. I knew about her actually, unfortunately, through Alex Nicholson because I interviewed him for PFL, and she was in the car during the interview. And then I just remember like I was like, oh yeah, he's with the you know he's the mother of his child is someone who also fights so i always made a note of that and then i remember seeing our contender series and i was like oh i'll reach out and yeah so we just we did the interview like recently and uh so i, I sort of keep tabs on that but yeah to answer your question about how i plan a week so this is like a very unusual day for me tomorrow i'll just mention this this is like totally out of character for me i have one two three four five six seven eight nine interviews tomorrow and i got to do a podcast and i got to do my own podcast tomorrow tomorrow's like a crazy day that normally doesn't happen it's just the way things have sort of worked out but how i typically plan things is this so usually on like saturdays i'll get my laptop out i'll get some cold cold coffee i love my cold coffee i have a coffee machine at home that i make all my coffee with (laughs) um and i sit there and i you know i watch my son and i just sort of you know my wife's there too and we just sort of i'm at least i'm upstairs i'm present because this is my office downstairs and I'll go through all the UFC cards and I'll go, you know, I have like a whole sheet of like, who should I, who do I have access to? Who can I interview? And then usually if it's like a bigger name, I'll be like, and they're like fighting like a month out. I'll be like, okay, I'll try and get them because, you know, I want to give them plenty of time before the media starts ramping up with them. So I'll sort of send my emails out, do my, you know, contacts, whether it's through management or email or direct through Instagram or whatever. So I, I sort of plan out my week that way. And I send a bunch of feelers out usually on a Saturday, sometimes a Friday. And then what I do is I plan my week out like that. And then I fill in the gaps and I have a lot of availability. Like usually I'm available from uh, usually Monday to Thursday from usually 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern time or 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. or 2 p.m. Pacific time. That's usually how because I like giving myself a nice buffer towards in the afternoon. That way, you know, I can go because in the evening I got to pick up my kid from daycare. I got to do dinner. I got to do bath, all that stuff. So I got to make sure I give lots of like like time for that. So. I usually plan my week out like that. And then on top of that, I have the content on my YouTube channel as well. So usually that's why I only basically do interviews Monday to Thursday. Friday is where I get everything ready for the next week for my YouTube channel. And that's where I'll do like the pros picks and I'll do all that stuff. And I'll basically do Fridays like an editing day basically where I'll go through and get everything organized for the um, for, for the channel. Because I like to have something up every day. Like YouTube has now become like my side hustle because my day job, like all the interviews I do, they don't appear on my channel. They appear on the outlets I work for because mm-hmm. they pay me like a certain amount a month for for my interviews. So the YouTube channel is the pros picks. It's basically like my podcast and then like any other extra footage I get from my interviews, I put it on there that I'm allowed to use. Like, sort of That's also a tip for you freelancers as well. I recommend if you are going to do video interviews for an outlet and like make sure you g- give them the interview, but also negotiate, you know, make sure if you want to get some extra content for future videos, you can use that as well. That's mm-hmm. something I would recommend because, you know, you want to get, you know, some piece out of the interview as much as you can, but you also want to be fair to the outlet as well by not, you know, re-uploading your interview or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so that that's something I do as well. And now with the Patreon, um, usually all those pros picks videos I get done on Friday, those will go up on the Patreon right away so people can see it. And then usually on the channel, I space them out every day. Usually every day I have one video up, whether it's a podcast or pros picks or clips or something different. So that that's sort of how I plan it out. It's very busy. It is. I mean, there's certainly nights where, especially like earlier in the week, like Monday, for example, tomorrow, I'm going to be up probably after my son goes to bed and finish editing all those interviews or getting them ready. 
Um, so yeah, it's a lot of extra hours, but I like the schedule I have where it's like Fridays are a bit more relaxed. I take Saturday and Sunday off usually. Um, I definitely make a priority to like spend time with my family and friends and stuff because if I don't, I just go crazy. It's so easy to get addicted to this industry because you're literally, it's a 24 seven industry. Anything can happen. I remember what was it the other night? Um, there was the whole thing with, for example, oh yeah, like even yesterday, like there was the whole thing with Volkanovsky being off, um, you know, 260. So immediately my head would be like, okay, I want to get a video out reacting to that. I didn't even have time to do that. I was so busy yesterday. So I didn't even do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oftentimes if news breaks and I'm around, I'll do like a video because those usually do well on my channel where it's like, you know, reacting to news or reacting to like a fight matchup. So yeah, it's just like, I try not, but, but you know, like if something breaks on my off time, I usually don't do something on it. I'll just try and like do what I was doing, whether it's, you know, watching hockey or just staying at home and just trying to have a regular life outside of this. And I try and really keep off my phone if I can at night just to, you know, give myself some sanity. So that's sort of what a typical week looks like me, for me as a, as a freelancer. And that's crazy that you, you're able to block that amount of time and still devote that much time to your family because you see that a lot. You know, I know, I know Dwayne Finley, you know, when him and Hunter were on the road, I know, you know, in the book, he just talked about how tough it was to be away from the family. So, I mean, it's really awesome that you're able to, you know, you don't just say, okay, I have family time and I'll work that into my work schedule. You have my work time, Here's my family time. And I really respect that you said, you know, if some news comes up and your phone's there and you're like, yep, that's cool. I'm going to go back to watching hockey or spending time with my family. I think it's really important. Yeah. It it just drives you nuts. And Dwayne, actually, good example. Dwayne's like, it was like a mentor of mine because he was the one who hired me at Flow Combat. I have a lot of respect for him and Hunter. They, you know, helped my career out tremendously. And I think that um, that that is something that Dwayne was very big on his family, and I'm I'm the same way. Like you, you don't. I mean, these are these are years I'm going to lose out if I'm watching my son grow up and I'm too busy, you know, trying to do like a, you know, Masvidal and Usman prediction or something. You know what I mean? Like I I need, I need to make sure that like I'm prioritizing all you know the, the the family stuff. And I'll tell you another trick I do. I'm on the West Coast. I'm on I'm West Coast time here in Vancouver. So the prelims usually start like in the afternoon. So what I like doing is I'll PVR the prelims. I won't watch them live. That's why they'll never really see me live tweet that much unless it's a pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll PVR the, the prelims like I did last night, still do all my you know day-to-day stuff with my family. And then what I'll do is I'll watch the fights live like at night, usually like the main card, but like in between those commercials and stuff, I'll go back and watch fights or I'll watch them after the fights type thing. Mm-hmm. That way I've caught up because I just can't like, I don't know how people who are like my age and have families like watch fights every week unless you're 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 actually working for a company and you're like on the clock type thing but i mean that's one thing that i'm very like big on i don't want to like you know i mean if i ever do go like to like a big outlet like full-time maybe that's something i'd have to look into but i just like having my saturdays to kind of customize myself and like Mm -hmm. not have to like next saturday i'll be doing the pay-per-view i'll be doing the live stream that's fine but i can do that i can do that once a month but to do like a fight night card where people do like live streams throughout the whole night it's like i just don't have time to do that like that's just too much time and not much of a payoff for it so i definitely try and prioritize the best i can and i'll tell you i still have you know uh, you know i still not arguments but i definitely have to negotiate with my wife a lot about like you know doing certain things like when it comes to doing content or whatever and i try and make it up to her and it's it's it's, a, it's very much a balancing act but i'm a very organized person i think if i wasn't as organized as i was i'd be in a lot more trouble i do too and you know you kind of see that come through um you know, especially when you do the, the fight breakdowns and you're going through one by one by one and you're pulling everything up and you're doing the research and you have some people who are like, why don't you know this by memory? And I'm like, because the UFC roster has, you know, four or 500 people on it at this point. It's not like it used to be where the same, you know, you look back at like UFC, I think it was 42, 43, 44, and it was like Chuck Liddell, Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz. And you're like, are, are those the only people you have? So you have like yeah. the same people over and over. We don't have that anymore. And like you said, it is hard to watch every week and you've kind of 
if you if you're not single, because basically that's how, what it comes down to, um, you have to pick and choose. You know, there's yeah. nights where I'll watch the main card but not the prelims because I'm like, it's the East Coast. I mean, the card last night ended around one o'clock. Like, I love I would love to live on the other coast and be like, oh, the fights are over by this time. That'd be fantastic. It um, is. It's great. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. It's awesome. Like <laughs> last night, I'm done at like nine thirty. I had time to do like a video and a recap and all that and. Um, you know, you still get to enjoy yourself. Like that is that is a huge game changer. Was me moving back home to Vancouver. It's it's been it's been huge. So can't so, say enough good things. So where were you living Vancouver. before? Like how long? Ago? I was living in Toronto. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, the part I skipped over in in my career. So I grew up in Vancouver. Um, I went to university in Ottawa, actually, which is about five hours away from Toronto. And uh, went out there, and the plan was always just do my schooling out there and then move back. Well, I ended up getting an internship in Toronto with a television network and then ended up going to Fight Network. And then I just ended up staying because all the big TV jobs, I wanted to be like on-camera television. All the big TV jobs were in Toronto, so I figured I'd stick around. And then I ended up just sticking around for like 10 years and then met my wife. And then I was like, okay, once we started a family, I was like, I can't live downtown Toronto anymore. We were living in a condo. Like you can see some of my old interviews on my channel where I like I was in like a, like we had a den in our condo where I was doing all my interviews. The lighting was terrible. At one point I was actually doing them in my bedroom because uh, the bait, like my son was his, his uh, like nursery was in my, my, my old office. So <laughs> you'll see the lighting's terrible. Like I'm actually, that's one thing I'm thinking of bringing or thinking of doing. Um, and I've been talking about this for a while is I want to go back and watch some of my old interviews and react to them and kind of like make fun of myself, like with, you know, things that I was doing wrong or whatever. <clears throat> like there's, so th th it's funny. He fought last night, actually Trevin Giles. So I interviewed Brendan Allen like years ago. This was maybe our first interview. One of the first interviews we, we did. And he's fighting Trevin Giles in, in, um, in LFA yeah. and for some reason I didn't cue in that his name was Trevin not Trevor so the whole interview I say Trevor Giles the entire time and I look like a complete asshat and that's an example of an interview I would go back and watch and make fun of myself for it so um, that, that's something I'm thinking of doing on the channel especially with bigger names because like I have tons of interviews with fighters that like from back in the day like Kevin Holland first interview I did with him is back in like 2017 I've got it on my channel uh, Curtis Blades I remember interviewing him in RFA Macy Barber her like third or fourth pro fight Sean O'Malley, Mackenzie Dern, like all these fighters that just ended up being like, you know, bigger. Mm -hmm. um, I have old interviews with. So, yeah, kind of getting to that point, though. It's um, yeah, you got to just you, you got to kind of balance everything the best you can. But it, it can be very tough because and especially with Twitter, like, as you know, the more active you are on Twitter, the more followers, followers you get. Like I've sort of like it's a very been a very slow increase. I think at one point, once I hit like 12,000 followers, it's been like I've maybe gained like 2,000 followers over the last couple of years, but that's because I don't post much on there because it's just a waste of time. Like I'll post my content and then I'll walk away. Maybe I'll post the odd thing here and there, but it's mainly just because you just end up getting on there and arguing with people and you'll never win the argument. It's just like you just you got to leave it alone. So there's another tip. Yeah, I, I had somebody a few weeks ago, I said something and they were just like, you fat piece of shit. You couldn't wrestle anything. And I'm like, no, I can't. Never said I could, but thanks for thanks for playing here. Like, people on there, I think you're right because, you know, Twitter was an easy way to expand out at one point to people you would never be in contact with. You know, when mm -hmm. I was first starting, that was where I was getting interviews. You know, reaching out to a fighter. And I think people don't realize how accessible fighters are. You know, at yeah. least they used to be. You didn't have to go through a management company all the time. You reach out, you say, hey... You know, can we talk? And they go, okay, you need to talk to my manager. All right, cool. Like, no big deal. But then you had other times where they're like, yeah, sure. They're like surprised that you want to talk to them. So I would say what was the hardest you've ever had to work for an interview without oh, saying man. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll tell you the story. I don't mind saying this at all. Heather Hardy, one time I emailed with her 17 times to get an interview with her. 
I'm not even kidding because that, that's like one of, and it, it's not her fault. It's just like, I mean, well, I, I guess it is her fault. I mean, I was talking to her directly, but um, it was just one of those things where we kept pl- like organizing stuff that wouldn't pan out. Like I kept trying because I was like, I got to get this interview. I think it's interesting. You know, she's a boxing fighter coming over to uh, to MMA. Um, but yeah, that, that took a while. But I've had, yeah, I've had a lot where it's just like, it's just, it's so tough to, to land something, book something. And you're right. It was easier back in the day because you know what Twitter did, which really screwed a lot of us over was they took away, you could just DM anyone. Remember that? Yeah. You could just DM anyone with an account. So you could go to like a UFC champion, send a DM. They probably see it. Now it's like a lot of them, you can't DM unless they follow you. Right. So and then you have to be um, like, can you follow me? Like you have to like- yeah, to do that. Well, no, you don't. So, so I see a lot of people doing that. And I think they do it just to get the cloud of getting the fighter to follow them you can actually do what i do which is just have your dms open and that way it'll go to the message request but you can still see it in there mm-hmm. um, but that, that's what i do with instagram because you can message anyone on instagram it does go to their request folder but that's i've had a lot of success with instagram i think instagram is the new twitter a lot of people use instagram now as yeah. opposed to twitter because people are lazy and they just want to post a photo as opposed to writing something out but um that that's how i go about it and yeah i've had a lot of like i've had i could tell you so many stories about you know, like lengthy, like negotiations to just get a, an interview booked or a fighter, like, you know, flaking, or I have tons of stories about fighters flaking out. Like I've had one that flaked on me like three times and it's like, okay, well, we're not going to do this again. And and I've, you know, I've been, and, and that's another tip too. Like I know some people, when an interview flakes, you get pissed off. That's the instinct is to tell them to F off. I never do that. Um, I've, I had a fighter who was a regional fighter who definitely could have used an interview, flaked on me three times. I just said to the management, I said, you know what? I said, I, I appreciate that we're trying to work this through. I said, I just, this is, this is kind of like not worth my time at this point. I was very polite about it, but I said like, look, like I just, I, I don't know what to do at this point. I just don't think it's yeah. worth it to try and make this happen. I'm sorry, but like I, these are, I could be interviewing other fighters if, if I had someone a bit more organized, that's it. it but you don't have to, like I've had other people where they'll get mad. It's like, yeah, it's never going to win anyone over. No one's going to, you know, if you get mad at someone, no one's ever going to come around and say like, okay, yeah, we're going to do all this for you. Like, no, it'd be better if you're professional about it. That, that's sort of my thinking on it. Yeah, and I've I've had those situations, and I'll start with the Instagram because like I got to interview Ensign Inouye, and I was like, all I did was message him and say, hey, I want to talk about this, and he's like, all right, let's do it, and I just went, holy shit, it worked! <laughs> like even yeah. after all these years, you're like, okay, and then you're talking, and then you know, I feel like so many fighters appreciate, you know, there's some people who say don't watch other interviews, you know, but at the same time, I think sometimes it's good to look at some of the interviews they've done because. A lot of people ask the same questions. They'll ask them mm-hmm. over and over. And I'll never forget, I was at the UFC in Tampa, and John Dodson was being interviewed. And I'm sitting there, and like back then, like I, I noticed there was like a pecking order. It was like, all right, MMA junkie, MMA fighting. Anyone else? No? Okay, cool. Like There wasn't even like a pause unless you jumped in and said, hey, no, no, no I have a question. Yeah. And I think there was like a, a Polish outlet. There was somebody different there. And I remember they all three asked John the same exact question. Same exact question. And I waited till all the cameras went away and I grabbed him and I said, hey, can I, can I borrow you for a sec? I said, can I ask you something? He goes, yeah. I go, what's it like to get asked the same question three times in a row? He goes, it's really fucking annoying. He goes, because yeah. then I got to remember what I said to the last guy. And I remember yeah. turning on the camera and he just out of nowhere was just like, give me the McGregor fight. He's like, I'll beat him up and steal his lucky charms. And it was like a... 20 second video that I don't think has ever seen the light of day. So <laughs> that's I, all it takes. Yeah. It's building that it's, rapport. Like people don't understand, like this isn't just reach out your best friends immediately. Like, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a skill and, and it's those reps. I think a lot of people, 
you know, something you just touched on there about how accessible fighters are, I feel like that has made a lot of people in this industry like almost like it like kind of feeds their ego in a bad way where they're like look who i got but it's like that's just the point is that like it's very easy to get a hold of a fighter it's not like you're doing anything like special or whatever but there's a lot of people who don't like i come from a television background like i mentioned so i've had years of watching people on tv and i'm a big sports fan as well so i like i consume a lot of sports content not just mma but i'll you know every time i'm in the car i'm listening to a sports radio like yeah. i know how a broadcaster sounds i know how to project and, and do all and enunciate and all that stuff right whereas i feel like there's a lot of people who are just like, oh, I can do this, but they don't like they don't have that that training. Like I see people like looking like this in an interview. They're not looking at the camera. Like it looks weird, you know. Like there's <laughs> there's like little things like that that just I think you need to you need to practice. You need to get those reps in. And and you and it's I absolutely think it's it's good to watch other interviews because yeah, find stuff that that people aren't going to tackle. I'll go to a fighter's Instagram page. What have they been doing lately? You know, I'll watch someone's interview and if they talked on something, maybe expand on it a bit more or find something else that's a little bit different. You can't watch every interview, but you, you can certainly like try and you know make an effort to not just just ask the same stuff and uh just just try and you know be different and i i think it's good to also have some you know some unusual questions like um in your back pocket in case you're you're getting an interview or you're getting short answers or mm -hmm. something i always like doing is just bringing up you know current events like hey what'd you think of adesanya losing what'd you think of the, the sterling dq was that the right call you know try and take different angles with the fighter even if it's a, a boring interview because you're always looking for that quote and sometimes you don't get it so yeah. that's where you have to be a little bit more creative in trying to pull something out of the the fighter when it comes to to doing an interview and stuff and i think that's uh that's a key thing but the biggest thing is is the reps i mean i don't know how many interviews i've done but and i still need to work on things like you just you have to put the time in and if you don't it's very apparent of who is doing it right and who isn't yeah absolutely and i think uh one of the funnier things from the ensign conversation is i had watched an interview he did and they were like what's your favorite ice cream and so i'm like I'm like, I'm trying to think of a good question to ask you. And I was like, I'm not going to ask you what your favorite ice cream, because I know it's Rocky Road. And he just looked at me like, oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I feel like fighters appreciate when you're not asking them the same thing. And you've done a little bit of research. But I, I had it. I'm not going to say who, but I had it backfire one time. Like, I was looking at someone's Instagram, looking at someone's Twitter, somebody I've been talking to for years, trying to set it up. And I never gave up on it. And I'm asking these questions. And we brought up, you know, GoldenEye007. And he had tweeted about it like a few days prior. And I started asking him about that. And he was like, yeah, it's fun. And I'm like, that, that's it? Like, like, I did all this research. And like you said, there's just sometimes you're just not going to get the quote. You're not going to get. And, you know, I had this person reach out afterwards. You know, hey, I'm, I wasn't in a good mood. Da, da, da. We'll reschedule. And I'm like, I respect that more than anything. Because oh, of course. Yeah. We, we as journalists, like, we can feel that you either don't want to talk to us or you're being forced to talk to us. I'm not going to yeah. push that. If you don't want to talk to me, that's fine. You know, I've had a couple people that I've interviewed over the years. I try to get them on the podcast, and they're like, I don't do podcasts. And like you said, I'm not like, hey, F you, like, this sucks. If you don't do podcasts, like, we have to respect that. And I feel like, you know, the fighters just aren't dancing monkeys for the interviews. And you have too many people who ask them, you know, they get too caught up in asking them, you know, the same things over and over and over. And they're not really probing to try and find out who this fighter is as a person. And I think for me, that's why I still do this. You find out things about fighters. I remember Caveman Rickles, when I first interviewed him years ago, he had four jobs in addition to being in Bellator. And that blew my mind. And I was like, what do you, you, what do you mean you have a job? Like, that just didn't make sense to me. And over the years, we've seen, you know, the commentary now makes it a point to tell us that they still have jobs. And I think that's a terrible thing to say. Like, don't. It is. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> 
You're you're 100% right. And it's something you kind of touched on there as well is the whole thing about, you know, a lot of these fighters don't want to do interviews because there's no like standard of what it means to be a journalist. Like you could do one interview. I'm an MMA journalist. I can, you know, like like I see that it's like I I almost equate it to like being a comedian, right? Like there's a difference between being a, like a like a guy at an open mic and a guy who like, you know, tours across the country and doing comedy shows like that but it's the same profession and it's like oh i'm a comedian and it means the same thing it's like i feel like that's how the media is as well so i i feel bad for some of these fighters because they're doing these interviews and these people have no idea what they're doing and that's why i tell people when you're starting out talk to the regional fighters because if you screw up or you ask dumb questions it's not a big deal because they're not doing a ton of media anyways yeah. and i feel like a lot of people that there's this idea out there where they want to get the biggest name and they think it'll go viral and that's how they'll make it and that that's never sustainable that's it's just it's it's not yeah it's 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 not gonna happen and that's what i did i and so, some can do it like submission radio is a good example they got good guests from day one i think their first show they had alistair Overeem. but they the difference between them and other people is that they they have good chemistry they had done uh you know media experience prior to that so you could tell they were polished it's not like they're going on there and being like uh so uh How's uh, how, how's training going? How, how's, how's how's everything going? Like you know, like that type of just like you can just tell they have no idea what they're saying, you know. Mm. And I and I love that too because you know we talked about like how easy it is to access some people. Sometimes it isn't, and sometimes it's about those regional people or those you know not as you know famous or big guys. And I'm not saying anything bad, but you know when I got to interview Stepe back in 2016, it was because I had interviewed Brian Rogers. And him and Stipe had the same manager, and Brian Great reached out. Yeah, he reached out to him and said, "Hey, he's a good dude. Like, you know, just just consider it." And I got to interview Stipe, and I worked for Red Bull at the time, and I did the interview in my truck with the truck off uh, in September, which was about ninety-five degrees Fahrenheit now, <laughs> and I'm like sweating, and I'm like, I gotta get it done. Like, I have to do it. Like, this is my lunch break. And I just remember, you know, that was one of those moments where it was like, do I hope it goes viral? Everybody kind of hopes in one sense, but at the same time, I wanted to tell a good story, you know, and I get caught up and you know, I'll look at the views on my YouTube page. I'll look at it and you'll see some that are like really good and you'll see some that really aren't. And I kind of just finally got past the fact that I'm like, I'm putting this out there because it's good content. You know, I'm putting it out there and that's why I love everything that you do, because I know you feel the same way. I'm sure being as organized as you do, you look at it and you go, well, why is this one doing so well? And then after a while, you were just like, it's a good show. It was a good interview. You know, move on. Like, so I think it's yeah, you can. And there's so many factors go into it. Like literally, like it's like playing roulette or anything at the casino. Like that's what YouTube's like. It's is the algorithm going to pick it up? I've had some stuff. I had a 30 second clip that I asked Claudia Gadea about the whole comment she made to Brian Ortega about how I want your babies. I put that clip on YouTube. It did like 300,000 views, right? And then meanwhile, that same week, I did like a full interview with, uh, you know, Yoanny and Jacek, and it didn't do even close to those numbers. So it's just like, it's really a crapshoot with YouTube. That's why I don't like, people are like, why don't you just do everything on your channel and make money that way? Because I can't risk that. Like, no. I don't want to know if I'm going to make $1,000 this month or not, right? Like, it's, it's too much of a gamble that way. So that's why I prefer to, um, you know, work for outlets and do my own content as sort of a side thing because <clears throat> I'm not relying on it. But yeah, it's uh, funny you mentioned Brian Rogers. I know Brian Rogers very well, actually. When he won his uh, Bellator fight in uh, in Ontario, the, the fight where he got the knee, the flying knee uh, mm -hmm. finish over Adrian Miles. So I was at that card. I was living in Toronto at the time. Brian actually stayed with me that weekend. I took him to a Jays game. We went out that night. Like we had a great time, him and Chase Hackett. 
uh, we went out that weekend. But I know um, I know Greg quite well because Stipe's nutritionist is actually from Toronto as well. So we he had a bunch of us at his house, and this was before Stipe was champ. And uh, we all like had a party, and that's where I met Brian Rogers for the first time. And then obviously later I ended up you know going to the fights with him and stuff. But uh, yeah, Brian's a great dude, and Greg Kalikas is Nick Kalikas's brother. So Greg Kalikas is so Nick Kalikas, who I just mentioned, who does the UFC on the Line show mm-hmm. and owns MMA Oddsbreaker. That's that's uh, Greg's brother. Like Greg's not involved in the industry anymore, but he used to manage Stipe, Brian Rogers, Jessica I, like a lot of like fighters that would end up going on to like you know really big things. So it's kind of a small world in that sense. I love Brian. Uh, what a great guy. He's really uh, made it uh, in in the business world these days uh, since retiring from fighting. Yeah, absolutely. And and I love Brian too because when I went to Cleveland for UFC 203 and I got to see Stipe fight. Um, I didn't know Brian was in town, and all of a sudden, I he had posted something on Facebook, and I was like, "You're you're in Cleveland?" I'm like, "Where are you?" And he tells me where he is, and it was like 15 minutes from where I was. So I just went there, and he bought me a beer. It was a Guinness. I'll never forget it because I'm like, "Ah, oh, why not?" But I remember just hanging out with him, and then you know, in that moment, you forget he's a fighter. Yeah, you know, he was just a really cool dude. The Browns were playing, so everyone in the bar was glued to the TV. Like you, you couldn't have pulled him away. And I remember that night just being like, that was really cool. And, you know, when fighters are able to open their homes to you, you know, there's usually one example I would use, but due to recent behaviors, I'm not going to mention him. But sometimes you have fighters who are like, you can stay at my house. And you're just like, okay. But you have to build that rapport, you know. And I think sometimes one of the greatest things for me is what happens after the interview is over. You know, at one point... You know, are they going to say, oh, that was really good? And then they reach out and, you know, hey, that was really fun. Or or if they don't, like, you can almost get a little excited when they do just because, like I said, I've been interviewing guys now for 11 years. I'm still excited when somebody reaches out or shares a story because I'm like, you're you're showing my work and you're showing that you had a good time. Um Hundred percent. That that that's also what keeps me going in this. Like you know, the odd time. Like I did an interview with Leon Edwards recently, uh, actually before the the Bilal fight, and he like made a note like after the interview, he just said it out of the blue, and he's like, he's like, man, like I like how you asked me like different stuff and blah blah blah, and I was like, I'm clipping that and keeping it. I have a whole folder. I think I told you this where I have um. I have a whole folder of like compliments that I keep because like it is easy to get like you can get drawn into the negativity very well. I had a whole there's a whole Reddit thread. Someone uh, they posted my Valentina Shevchenko interview and someone said I was the worst interviewer of all time and all this stuff. And like, you know, it does like obviously it's some moron who has no idea, of, you know, what's going on in the industry. And maybe you don't like me, but like the worst interview of all time. Come on. I could I could name some people that are probably, uh, you know, not not on, on you know, that I'm not doing very well. But it's very easy to get consumed by negativity. So I always keep my compliments and, uh, you know, on a bad day or the odd time, I'll go, I'll go check them over and I'll read them. Cause I think that is another reason why I'm doing this is because it's not just, you know, me making money or whatever. It's also like, Hey, I'm actually like providing people entertainment or I'm, you know, giving people information or, or whatever, you know, and I think it's very easy to sort of, you know, get, and, and by the way, when I say compliments by people that are actually respected, like I see a lot of people go on Twitter and, you know, someone will say, oh, great job. But it's like, that's all meaningless. It's yeah. all cloud. It's not, it's not real. You know, like these, like there's, it's like when I always see, and this is another mistake I see people do. I feel like I'm lecturing, but it, it's just things I want to help people out with. Listen, man. I'll see someone go on Twitter and be like, um, hey, like, what do you guys think of this interview? Well, who gives a shit what Twitter thinks? Because they're not qualified to give a proper opinion. They, they might like it. And they're just saying that to get a wait, like or a wait, retweet. Tw- meanwhile, you have no idea. Twitter, Twitter isn't for validation. Like that's not the place to go. I've been doing it all wrong. All wrong. Oh man, and there, there's people that just live on that platform, man. I and mean, I see it all the time. They're just 24/7, just tweeting. It's like, 
take, put your phone down, man. Go do something. Go outside. Get some fresh air. Yeah. Like, there's more to life than social media. All that's just, it's all fake. Because if it was real, then if I'm getting, you know, 25 retweets on an interview or something, or I'm getting a bunch of likes, like, shouldn't that interview be blowing up? Shouldn't I be getting, like, it never equates that way. It's always... Like, you know, I did that clip with Eddie Alvarez, right, from the interview I did last week. And, um, you know, McGregor tweeted back at it, which was, like, super surprising or whatever. I mean, if McGregor tweets anything, that should alone mean that the video is going to, like, blow up. It didn't. I think that the clip itself got 6,000 views, but the interview itself, I think it's barely over 1,000 views. Like, it doesn't always equate to that. So that's another lesson. Don't fall into the social media clout yeah. trap because it really means nothing at the end of the day. And I, I feel like sometimes it just depends on who it is. You know, I think right yeah. now, you know, I I remember I worked for – ultimate mma magazine that was like my first gig and you know working with guys with like tony reed that's how i got introduced to him and, love tony yeah. reed so, love tony reed i think i don't think tony and i knew we worked together until like years later because you know it was a magazine but i remember interviewing eddie wineland and having a really good time and i interviewed lauren murphy same thing when she was still uh, invicta and the magazine just went under and those two interviews disappeared and i just remember you know a few a few podcast episodes having eddie on the show and we were talking and he texted me afterwards and i'm like it's been six or seven years you still have my number like that meant a lot to me like it's it's a strange oh, yeah. thing but there was something i did and when he was on the show a couple weeks ago you know i took a page out of your good buddy adam martin's book when he did it to me i just said hey what do you want to talk about and eddie goes i want to talk about how my button isn't what it used to be and i just went Oh, okay. Um, yeah, let's talk about that. You know, when you really look, and Eddie's had a couple losses, a couple knockouts, but if you look at it over his career, he hasn't been knocked out that many times, and it's been more recently. And it's because yeah. he even said, I'm still fighting the way I used to. Maybe I should do something. Uh, I think it's called putting your hands up. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 just, yeah. Just joking around about it. It was a lot of fun to have somebody on the show who still remembers you from all those years ago. Um, I've talked about it on the show. I won't say his name now because he might be fighting for a title in May. Uh, <laughs> but I had somebody reach out to me and had kept my number over the years. And you can guess who that was. But um, And I was just blown away. And I was like, but it was not a good set of text messages. And we haven't spoken since. But it's one of those things where it can, it can bite you in the ass or it can be good. But, you know, this past week, you know, Tom Schaff, I've been watching him in Bare Knuckle. I've seen him fight a couple times. Uh, it's been super exciting to do that. And then he starts training with Leonard Garcia. And I'm like, that's an interview I've always wanted. And he goes, oh, I'll get Leonard on for it. You know, those those connections you make, you don't realize. And you don't want to be that person going, hey, can I get a favor? If they offer, I'm taking it every single time. You don't even have to do it that way. You can just approach it. Because I've, I've done this before, too. That's actually how I got Poirier. Because I've had Poirier's number for a while. I've had his email. And I, his management, I don't know. Like, I've just never really sort of dealt with them. But I knew someone that was training with Poirier at the time. It's not like a known fighter or anything. And I, I hit him up. And I he happened to comment on something I was doing with Colby. And Colby was saying something about Dustin. And I said, oh, I'd love to interview Dustin and get his side of things or whatever. And he's, he's like, and then the guy messaged me. And he's like, well, do you want me to help set it up? I said, yeah, let's do it. And sure enough, it worked out. So that's another reason why it's good to interview regional fighters, especially if they train at big gyms, because that could be an for you or maybe they've even seen your interview i've had that before i've had people come up to me and be like hey man love your interviews and i've never met the person it's like okay like this is cool like it's obviously working like me um you know doing that so it's yeah th th there's there's value in every interview you do like at, at like 100 you know that that happened to me at knuckle mania actually like somebody was like hey what's your name and i told him and he's like don't you have a podcast like i know you and i'm like yeah <laughs> that was the moment where you're like yeah i made it that's it. Um, 
funny story about big gyms and ATT. Uh, when ATT did their grand opening, um, Master Ricardo Laboria reached out to me because I had met him a couple times. He said, Matt, I want you to come down and take pictures. So he knew I was a photographer. I said, oh, absolutely, I'll be there. And I'm taking pictures, and he's invited me, and I'm assuming that he's told everybody why I'm there. So I'm taking pictures of everybody, and I see Robbie Lawler playing with a kid, and I'm like, man, these are some of the greatest shots. And I'm taking the pictures, and all of a sudden, Robbie looks over at me, and he looks at the guy next to him, and he goes, Uh-oh. who the fuck is that? And I'm like, and the guy walks over to me, and he's like, hey, who are you? What are you doing? What's going And I was like, whoa, 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 what? I'm like, Laborio asked me to come here. And I was like, just take pictures. And he's like, that's Robbie's kid. And I went, and he goes, he doesn't put him online. He doesn't put him on social media. And I sat there with him and deleted every picture I took of the two of them. That sucks. I mean, that, who's supposed to know that? And like, I was like, I mean, but I was like, I was so scared because I was like, but at the same time, I'm like, Robbie Lawler is about to kick my ass. He did the same thing that he, Robbie got mad at me in a media scrum. I don't know if I told you this. It was the it was the Askren fight. So I don't know why this like pissed him off, but like I I asked him. I said, you know, if all goes well against Askren, is is the Stephen Wonderboy Thompson fight in, interesting to you because that fight was rumored or something? And he, he got mad. He's like, that fight was never rumored. And I was like, I was like, okay. And like, but it absolutely was. Like BJ Penn had a whole story on it or whatever. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he got like he got like really mad at me. Like that's another thing. Like. You're going to have times when fighters get upset. I talked about this on my Patreon. I won't mention who it is. I'll tell you off air. But I had a fighter text me like three months after they fought saying, oh, I heard what you said about me on a podcast. Um, like you think I suck or whatever. In which like if you watch how I break down fights, I would never even no. say anything close to that. I might talk about how someone has advantages to win. But like me telling someone they suck, come on. So he like he got all upset and like did all this thing. And um, yeah, and like and I said, I said, look, man, like I'm sorry. Like that wasn't my intent. I'm sorry if you felt that that way. Um, you know, like, just like, I don't want any enemies here. Like, it's, no. it's all good. Like, you know, whatever. And he like never got back to me. And I texted him a few days later and I said, I said, I said, okay, no response. I said, I'll talk to you on the phone, man. Like, let's figure this out. Never got back to me. And it's like, come on, man. Like, and this is a guy I've known for years. Like I interviewed him dating back to like his first couple of pro fights. And this is how he's going to remember me now as some guy who thinks I'm a, like being a troll. But you got to understand there's a lot of unpredictability in this industry where it's like, you'll have times when stuff doesn't go your way and it could be completely you know, not your fault. It could be your fault. Maybe you learn from it, but I think you just can't take stuff personally because there's going to, I mean, I get it. Fighters go through a lot of shit, right? Whether it's, you know, on social media or just even, you know, having a train and, you know, money issues and all that, but you just can't take stuff like that personally. As long as you know, you're doing a good job and you're learning from your mistakes, you can't put it on yourself, you know? So. Yeah. And it's like, like you said, you know, the focus on the regional fighters, like Alex Nicholson, Mike Perry, Cheyenne Velismas at the time, now Bays. Like, we're all yep. people that fought around here. You know, Newport, Ritchie, Florida, which nobody knows where that is. And I remember seeing, you know, Alex's first fight, one of his first fights, his dad sitting next to me and his dad being like, give me your info, we need to talk. And I'm like, okay. You know, Mike Perry going for a flying armbar and missing and almost knocking himself out. Uh, there's video of that somewhere on the internet, I don't know where. But it's like, you know, those are people I watched and Hannah as well. And it was just so weird to see, like, the trajectory of how they went. You know, the hate that they get. They've done, you know, <clears throat> there's been some incidents outside of the cage that have happened. We get it. It happens with everybody. But it's like the fans are like, well, it's okay for this person to do it. But it's not okay for this person to do it. Um, so I think people just need to understand, you know, we're all human at the end of the day. We make dumb decisions. Some there's of them are not. Com- and th- 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 this, is a whole, and this is a whole issue I have and why I don't post a lot of stuff on Twitter is because, like, there are people that actually, like, get off, like, on, like, getting people in trouble. 
-hmm. Like you know that they're they just they can't wait to find something on a fight. Like it's a it's a very weird sort of trend I've noticed over the years where you'll see like I remember there was one person in particular, I don't think they work in the industry anymore, but like they would like scan fighter social media and if they said anything even remotely controversial, they they pull up all the screenshots and it's like, What are you doing? Like that's not journalism, that's you being a, a hall monitor. Mm -hmm. You know, like I don't like all that stuff. Like, sure, if someone's made a mistake, they gotta be accountable for it, let let's go. But you can see there's certain people, that's their MO is like I'm the purity police, and I'm going to tell you guys who's making all these mistakes and everything. And I just, I don't even address that. I mean, I get people on my podcast like trying to egg me on and say, you know, certain stuff. And I just, I won't even go there because it's just, it's a waste of time. Like, yeah, the, these people are fighters. They, they have probably one of the toughest jobs in the world. They get punched in the face a lot. They're going to make mistakes. This idea that everyone has to be held to this like amazing standard and that we can't forgive them, it's like, come on. So, um, yeah, I think I, I don't even, yeah. I, I don't even go there with that stuff. It's just it's 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 an uphill battle. Well, and I noticed that during one of your last live breakdowns, you know, there was mm -hmm. a lot of people just saying some dumb shit. There's no there's no better way to say it. It was just dumb stuff, and you'd yeah. just be like, nope. Anyways, nope. Anyways, and you handled it so well, and I thought that was very. It's taken me some time. I've had some times where I've gotten a little pissed off, and it's it just it just comes with time. And my new thing now, when it comes to trolls, before it was like, can I come up with something clever to get back at them? But even then, like someone will find something. Like someone, like I didn't know some McGregor quote, and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. They're like, oh, you're a casual, you don't know this quote. It's like, yeah, because I don't memorize fucking fighter quotes all the time, right? Like, give me a break. But I can't even say that without looking like a dumbass. So now what I do is I kill them with kindness. That that Valentina thing on on Reddit. Mm -hmm. I wrote the person back and I said, hey, this is me. Um, thanks for watching the interview. I've always, I'm always looking to improve. Uh, I appreciate you watching. I'll try and do better next time. Like, what are they going to say to that? If I had said, oh, I work for 12 outlets and obviously if I was terrible, I wouldn't get hired, then people are going to take it and go yeah, after why don't, me. Why don't like, you work oh, for 13? Why do you have to work for yeah, 12? Like, that's what I'm saying. So I, you kill them with kindness. Gary V, you know, the, the great digital marketer, he's someone that sort of does this where like someone will write something crappy and he'll be like, hey man, nice photos. You know, like you can't kill them with kindness. It's like the whole... Uh, you know, what's, what's the guy's name from Roadhouse? Uh, Dalton, you know, where he's just like, be nice. It's the same thing. You know, just be nice to him. Kill him with kindness. Did you that's, just that's use what a Roadhouse quote? <laughs> One of my favorite movies. I love Roadhouse. Oh, man. I had not seen it until a few years ago, and I'm almost embarrassed if to say If it's on that, TV, but... I'm stopping everything I'm doing and watching the rest of it. <laughs> it's as terrible as some of the acting is. I, I love that movie. It's awesome. Listen, it was, it was clutch. It's just like any Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. You know the acting's terrible. You know the thing's bad. If you really want to have some fun, just go watch Hercules in New York. Um, there's a there's a dubbed version because that was Arnold's first movie, and you can barely right. understand him. Yeah. And in the dubbed version, they got somebody who sounds nothing like him. So he's like, "I am Hercules," and I'm like, <laughs> "So ridiculous." There's some bad. You know what actually has some bad dubbing as well as Bloodsport. If you ever watch oh, that God. movie, um, they they're like uh, the the first scene where uh, you know he's. Um, Van Damme's like evading the officer, you know, goes in the shower and then he leaves. And then the the like lieutenant comes in. He's like, "What do you mean Dukes isn't here?" And it like doesn't match up with his face or anything. It's like I guess they didn't have like good audio back then. I love that is my favorite movie of all time. I've got the Bloodsport like poster here. I'll even show you right here. I've got the uh, the Van Damme uh, little like poster board thing right here. Oh my god, love that movie. <laughs> it's so kidding. awesome. That I know that movie like you know in and out. And the reason I love it is because the action that was like the first like martial arts movie that like really got me into sort of martial arts in general as I'm trying to keep this thing back on my wall um, but uh, not only that but the, there's some terrible acting in it like remember the whole part with Janice where she's like, she's like come on Frank can't you get me in the kumite and Frank's like kumite is for the fighters not for the people who read new papers and it's like you can't write that stuff or like Jackson when he's in the hotel and the guy's like like Forrest Whitaker's like hey man stay out of this here 
Um, and then uh, whatever Jackson's like, I ain't your pal, dick face. Like, who writes that stuff? It's amazing. You know somebody wrote that and they were like, all right, edit this out. And then they handed him the script with it still in there and was like, just read it. Just read it. But that was back in like the early 90s, like late 80s, where like if you said stuff like that, like dick face, that was like cool. And now you look back and it's like, mm, that doesn't hold up, you know? Oh, I mean, you could be like iced tea and say some, you know, eat a eat a bowl of dicks. So it's... Right, and it's still like, yeah, it still, still doesn't hold up very well. So, Well, yeah. I won't keep you too much longer. What I was going to say is, you know, you talked about the hardest person. You know, I don't ever want to say what was your favorite interview because I feel like that's a question you've probably been asked hundreds of times. But has there ever been an interview that you wanted to, like, that got away or, like, your dream interview, I guess? Um, and I yeah, don't mean that um... in a sense of, like, you know, who's the champion or this or that. But, like, is there somebody you really wanted to talk to who just hasn't, you know, come to fruition? There's a couple, actually. I'd love to talk to Joe Rogan just to pick his brain and, you know, just sit down with him and kind of go through all of it because he's really a, a jack of all trades in terms of what he's been able to do with his podcast and being a commentator and being on Fear Factor and being a comedian. Like, to live a life like that is pretty incredible. I'd love to talk to him. George St. Pierre, I've, I've talked to him at, like, a presser, um, but I've never actually had done, like, a one-on-one. -on -one. I would be very curious to talk to him. And I think just for the challenge of it, I'd love to interview Nick Diaz just to, like, try and navigate through his weirdness and, and try and just get something out of him. Like, I had to interview Felony Bennett one time, and that was by far the hardest interview I've had, ever had to do because, like, partway through the interview, he's talking about, like, beating up women and all this stuff, and I'm trying to, like, steer it to, like, this fight. I have it on my channel. You can watch it. It's, 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 it's insane. Like, I can't believe I even got through the interview. But, um, yeah, those are – I like interviews where it's like, you know, I can get something – like, I can ask some things that I don't think have been asked and also, like, try and just – yeah, just, just challenge myself in, in an interview like that. So those are a few that come to mind in terms of, like, bucket list interviews. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I saw – I think I saw Felony at the last Knucklemania. He just looked – like, just blended in with everybody else. You're like, oh, okay. You know, no big deal. Yeah. The guy's been fighting for 20 years. <laughs> like, yeah, that's had to be a fun one. So – you know, this is a time I know just over the weekend, it looks like you picked up a couple new gigs. So I want you to kind of talk about that, you know, try to go through who you're working for at this point. Yeah. And uh, well, yeah. So I'll kind of uh, sorry as I interrupt you once again, I got to really do this uh, guesting thing a little bit. You know better. what? I'm it, kicking it you off the show. Kicking you off the show. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fast talker. That's what happens. So, yeah. So basically, well, yeah. So I'm with Middle Easy now, which is great. Uh, they reached out last week. So what, what had happened was I didn't really talk about this, but uh, odds.com was doing work for them. Got an email on Sunday night being like, hey, budget cuts, you know, we, we got to get rid of the interviews. So I was like, no hard feelings. It's all good. So, you know, when I, a couple of weeks prior to that, line movement had gutted their MMA department. So the beauty of freelance is like, no matter what, I'm always going to have money coming in because like, I can't imagine unless I do something like incredibly like career, like suicide ish, um, I, I don't see me ever being out of work. So, you know, losing one outlet, no big deal. Losing two outlets, no big deal. Like, I'm still making good money, but it's just like, I want to make sure I'm making the money I was making before because I like how it was. Like, I'm able to save money, I'm able to pay my mortgage, do all that stuff with my family. Exactly. So, Middle Easy has kind of replaced odds, which is good. And then I got a sponsorship deal with my bookie, which isn't long term. It's just a, you know, for now, it's just a temporary thing. Hopefully, it will be long term. That sort of replaced a bit of line movement as well. So I kind of just put the distress signal out, the bat signal, what have you, uh, out there just to see if people are interested in, in doing more content. Because I want to get involved with as many companies as I, as I can so there's room for growth. So I can kind of customize it how I want because certain outlets obviously pay me more for, for better interviews and then certain outlets don't pay me as much. So Middle Easy is one that I've joined on with. I started, I'm doing a new podcast with my buddy um, uh, JHK over at Kumite TV. Uh, we're starting that on Wednesdays. That's uh, you know just a one episode a week type thing. Uh, kind of a fun podcast there. That's with Fanatics MMA, not to be confused with Fanatics View, who I also work for. Um, and then um, 
And then what's the other one? Overtime heroics. Like, you know what? They're like, hey, we'd love to have you on. Like, you know, obviously we can't pay you a lot. I was like, you know what? Why don't we just do like an interview a month? I'd be happy to come on your team. If I can help you guys out, so be it. I mean, I'll take whatever, you know, it's, it's all good. So I'm doing like one interview a month for them. And I got a ton of feedback on that. People are like, oh, we're so happy. And it's like, I'm just like you guys. Like, trust me, I don't look at myself as like the celebrity or anything. I don't think I ever will feel that way. Cause I just like, I'm just thankful to be able to do this for a living, man. Like it's, it's super, super grateful to, to be able to, and yeah, I've worked hard, but also like it's a cool job you know so i kind of just look at it i don't really look at it as work it's more of like and i you know i ran down that schedule for you tomorrow yeah it's a lot of work but i love it so it's yeah. like you know it's not like i'd rather do that than do like even two hours of an office job you know it's, it's just you can't compare it so those are the two and then i got a bunch of other meetings next week as well so business is booming things are going well but uh i'll give you a quick rundown of who i work for right now just to, just because to, i have it here in a, in a grid here so Fanatics View, I do work for them. I do All Access MMA, Middle Easy, MMA News, Low Kick MMA, Odds Checker US, which is a betting site, Hub Sports Radio, My MMA News, MMA Sucka. I do a podcast with Chris Cyborg. I do a podcast with Jim West, Aspen Lads Head Coach, Cage Side Press, The Scrap. I edit uh, Julian Marquez and Kendra Lust podcast, Beauty and the Beast. I'm now starting to do work for this new company called Speculative Sports, um, which is like a regional. They're doing like regional stuff, so doing some stuff for them. And now Overtime Heroics. So that's a pretty decent Rolodex. But you got to remember, too, that like some of those are small commitments like Cage Side Press. I do like an interview a month for them. And that's just mainly because I just want to keep them around. And, you know, again, if I ever run into any financial trouble, I know I could go to them and say, hey, can I get some more interviews this month? Yeah, I can I can customize this. So that's one of the beauty things of freelance. But, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun, man. I love it. Like, I'm so much happier. And that's one thing you talked about off the top was the score. Like I'm so much happier doing this because of the freedom I have and the, the you know the ability to make my own schedule and the ability to do things. And not to say that I was super restrictive at the score, but I felt like a lot of times I was catering to like a casual audience, which I didn't like. I mean, I don't want to be the guy who's like MMA for dummies. I'd rather talk to like an amateur fighter. Like I got to talk to Aspen Ladd's brother, who's making his amateur debut this Friday on that same card that Rose Namajunas's brother is going to be fighting on as well. And like that's cool to me. Like yeah. I, got, I this kid's 18 years old. He's like way bigger than I am. He's like six foot four, two, two, like you know, 205 pounds. And he's gonna be making his debut. And the kid just like has no idea about like adult life at all. He's just like a fighter right now. And it's like that's cool to me. Those are the interviews I like, and and it gets me really excited. You know. So. All right. So for anybody who's not watching on YouTube, tell everybody where they can find you. If they don't, I mean, I don't know how they wouldn't know already. Because if you're in the MMA world, like you're. Like you said, you don't like to think of yourself as a celebrity, but honestly, like you're doing something and you're, oh God, I almost said trailblazing. I almost said. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. I'm just a guy that's figured some things out, and uh, you know, I'm happy to help other people with it. So yeah, the easiest way to define my work is on social media, on on Twitter and on Instagram. It's at Lynch on Sports. That's L Y N C H on Sports, all one word. That's where I post everything. So it's just easier to find it there. I also have a YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash/LynchOnSports, where all my UFC interviews they're on a playlist there. You won't get the notifications, but you'll see them in there. If I do an interview, I put it on there. So it's just easy, easy landing spot to find all my content. I do a podcast every Monday. I do a Q&A every Thursday uh, on there as well. Uh, I do the pros picks, which I think a lot of people know me for because those are pretty popular. Um, and then I have a Patreon as well. And again, that's just for if people want extra content, they can get it, right? And it's so for me, it's uh, it's it's just uh, patreon.com slash lynch on sports. For less than a cup of coffee, you get access to exclusive video content. So like I did a recap of the UFC card last night. You won't get that on my channel. You'll get it on there. Uh, I did some, you know, reaction videos to all the recent fight bookings like Masvidal and Usman and, uh, you know, Sanhagen and uh, TJ Dillashaw and things like that. You can find that on there and you get early access to the prospects. So all the prospects videos that will be up on my channel this week are already up on my Patreon. So you can check that out there as well. 
Also got a merchandise store. All that's in, in the links in, in my videos. You'll, you'll find all that. Uh, you can get cool shirts like this one, uh, the, the Lynch on Sports Dragon Ball Z shirt. Um, and that's what it, man. Honestly, thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me on. Like it's it's been so cool to to watch you know your work over the years and just to see the the work you're doing. I think you're doing an awesome job, and it's just fun to get to do a podcast where I'm not necessarily just talking about fights. So thank you for the time, man. It's uh, it's cool to just you know dig into this and have a conversation like we would be if we were at a bar, man. It was it was great. So I really appreciate it. I have one last question. Anything? Let's go. Favorite Dragon Ball Z character. I'm actually not a Dragon Ball Z fan. I just had someone make this for me. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you oh, what. I know, I know, I know, I know, part out. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. Now, this probably would have prevented me from even coming on if I would have known that. So yeah. I have not watched Dragon Ball Z. I was more a video game guy growing up. Okay, I know that's so kind of not the same thing. Favorite video. Favorite Street Fighter character, I'll tell you my go-to is Bison. Bison's my guy. Easiest controls to do the special move. He's my guy. Um, as far as like actual like character, I think everyone's got to like Ryu, right? Yeah. Ryu, Ryu, however you say it. Exactly. Um, I love Street Fighter 2. That's like my favorite video game of all time. That nostalgic overload. I used to sit there for hours as a kid, not having quarters, and just sitting there watching the demo screen. And now I play it all the time because I got a Street Fighter arcade in my office. So there you go. All right. And Raul Julia as Bison, I still love. I know that was unfortunately one of his last yeah. performances. But <laughs> How about Van Damme as Guile? Come on, you could have picked someone better than that. Like, pick someone with an American accent. Come on. No, dude, everything about that was just like, let's figure it out. By the way, Matt, did you know that they made a Street Fighter, the movie video game? Did you know this? I did not. It's a rare game. I've got it because I, you know, have other ways of getting games. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can find a video of it. But it, it's just awful. It's like they tried to rip off Mortal Kombat and um, like WWF the arcade game and make that into a fighting game, and it just does not translate very well. Oh, very but Van Damme's in the game. He's Guile in that game. Oh my god. Well, I'm excited for Mortal Kombat. I, I really am, just because like I feel like they're gonna do it some justice after you know what 16 years. No, gosh, I can't even do the math. 20. It's almost been 20 years. Yeah, close enough. Like, whatever the case is. But honestly, I really appreciate you taking the time. On behalf of myself, Combat Press, then I try to do this button thing where I do Fatboy Jiu-Jitsu, Burtzo's Bake Shop, and La Barba Cubana. Um, I also know you have your Manscaped deal going on. Um, is it still, what is it, 20% off it's free It's still good. Manscaped.com, use the code word Lynch, 20% off plus free shipping. Also, mybookie.ag, use the code word Lynch. If you're signing up, they'll match your deposit bonus. Uh, great site, love them. Uh, they, they actually support a lot of fighters as well too, so mybookie.ag. And so right, they don't pay me anything, but they sent me some awesome products. Uh, really good for recovery. I know a lot of you guys work out. You get those knots in your back. I've used this thing for a week. It's it's amazing. Like I can't even go see a masseuse right now because of COVID. Everything's shut down. I put this thing on my back. You lie down, you rub your back like a bear on a tree, and it gets all those knots out. It's, it's phenomenal. I absolutely love it, and uh, they should probably pay me to be a spokesperson because that was a pretty good at if i say so yeah well it's it's because you've got the voice and the enunciation and it's, it's everything about enunciation that. So, is key yeah james thank you, you learned again anything here announce it for your day off um i know you've got a lot of work to do and how many interviews like that still blew my mind i remember no interviews today man but i will tell you i gotta help my grandparents move today so I'm, that's that's the big uh, thing for today so as soon as i'm done this i'm going to uh, be a family guy so there all right go. man thank you again so much i really appreciate your time and we'll have to do this again soon Anytime you want me on, you hit me up. Give me a bit of notice. I'll come on. I'll have another cold coffee, and we'll do this again. It was, it was, it was a pleasure. It was all mine, honestly. Thank you, sir. All right, buddy. Have a good uh, rest of your weekend. Take it.